0: Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans. That is the last time I'm going to tell you that for a while. We have, as a church, been studying and reading the book of Romans since January of 2017. And it has been, for me, like an old friend. We, we had an old friend when Marsh and I were first married the best man in our wedding came out here to Oregon and lived with us for a while. And when you're newly married and your best man comes to live with you for a while, it's good. He's your good friend, right? And he can hang around a little long sometime. Like, what are you still doing here? We you know, and those sorts of things we would wonder. And then there came a day when he said, "You know, I'm going back to Montana," and he went back, and there was this sort of empty spot in this kind of my last childhood friend just disappeared. It's a little bit how I'm going to feel when uh, we're done with Romans. Some of you thought, "Well, it's sure staying around here a long time." We started in January 2017, and even just this week is. For those of you that don't know, we have two congregations, one in Wilsonville and one here, and the preachers get together and talk about the sermons, and I was talking with Pastor Travis on Thursday, and he was just, he was, we were acknowledging this old friend status that the Book of Romans has in our lives, and he said, can you believe the changes that God has brought in New Life Church since we started the Book of Romans? He said, "It's amazing what God has done in our church in that period of time. I mean, it's been it was good back then and it's even better now and we're just really grateful for our old friend, the book of Romans, and I hope that that's how you feel about it." And today in Romans 16, the last few verses, I I hope to give just a little bit of review to remind you of what we've seen already as well as, you know, bring a conclusion to our study of the book of Romans. So, again, if you have your Bible, I would invite you to take and turn to Romans chapter 16, the last few verses of Romans 16, beginning in verse 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsman, and Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. According to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed through the prophetic writings, has been made known to all nations. According to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith, to the only wise God be glory forevermore Through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now here at the end of the book of Romans, as we conclude the the beautiful statement of the good news of Jesus Christ really from start to finish, where we see it applied to an ethnic division between Jews and Gentiles, where we see it uh, needed into the life of the church and practically as they interact with one another, when he gets to the end of it, he communicates to us that the church of Jesus Christ is worthy of protection, of love, because it brings glory to God. The church of Jesus Christ is worthy of being protected. It's worthy of being loved and its life is to bring glory to God. I want you to see how he develops this thought in the first few verses here in verse 17 and following when he says, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary the doctrine that you have been taught and avoid them. You see, there are those who cause divisions and who create obstacles. And the church is to do two things. They're to watch out and they're to avoid. That is, in essence, they are to protect themselves. They are to protect others from those who would divide and to those who would put obstacles in the way of simple faith in Jesus. And so the church is worthy of protection. It's protection protection especially from those who bring divisions and create obstacles contrary to doctrine. The protection that needs to come is protection not just from bad attitudes of people Who would cause division, but that division, that division cuts at the root of the church. The root of the church being the doctrine that gives rise to the church. The doctrine that gives rise to the church is Romans chapter 1 through 8, isn't it? It shows the grand need of the church because of their rebellion against God and their inability to do anything to make themselves right with God, people are lost. They're hopeless. And so, what God does, He does for them what they couldn't do for themselves while they were still sinners. It says Christ died for us. God sent His Son to take His wrath and to forgive us of our sin. So that then there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And this, this good news, this gospel, that, this doctrine that gives rise to the church is what we find in Romans chapter 1 through 8. And it ends by saying nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so this doctrine is the thing that's at stake. And what he says is you need to protect the root so that you protect the entire tree. You protect the doctrine so that the church then is protected. And it's so easy for that to erode. In fact, look at what it says here uh, in, in just a little bit. He says that these people and he has in, in particular, people who are going to bring this division, people who are going to confuse the doctrine. And he says, these people, you can detect them in one measure by the fact they're not serving the Lord, they're serving their own appetite. They're doing it for what they can get out of it. It might be a book deal, it might be a a TV contract, it might be more listeners to their podcast, it might be any number of things that are self-interested rather than in the interest of Jesus. Rather than in the protection and love of His church, they are interested in their own appetite and what they get out of it. And so, you're to be on guard for that. To watch out and then to avoid those kind of people. And then the next way that you detect them is by how they maneuver and how they talk. It is by their smooth talk and their flattery. Should be no surprise, these people are good. They are really good. They are so good that, you will, that they can convince you of the wrong thing instead of reinforce the right thing. They are going to smooth talk their way around harder doctrines. They are going to smooth talk their way, and they are going to flatter you. They are going to give you what you want to hear. God loves you. He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to have. Hey, I want you to have lots of money. So, by the way, why don't you give to the church? Right? They're going to say stuff like that to you. They're going to tell you what you want to hear. You're basically good. You basically have no problems. Just keep, you know, doing your best. That, that's not the message. The message of the book of Romans is that your good, your best is not good enough. The message of the book of Romans is that apart from what God has done in Christ... All of us stand accountable for our own sin and we're hopeless. Except that Jesus has become our substitute. Taking the wrath of God and giving us His righteousness and goodness. See, that's far from flattering, isn't it? That's not telling you how you know great you are. That's telling you how great Jesus is. And there's a vast difference not telling you to do better and save yourself. It's telling you that there is somebody who has already done best and He is your Savior. And so be on guard for those who would smooth talk you and flatter you. And see, there's all kinds of reasons people do that. Many of them have to do with their own appetite and their own feeling about themselves or their own pocketbook or their own needs instead of the needs of the church of Jesus Christ. And they deceive. See, nobody really means to go down that road or to believe the wrong thing, but they're deceived. And it deceives the hearts of the naive. Those who have not sunk their roots deep in the Gospel. It starts off with doctrine because it is the doctrine that you have been taught that keeps you from being naive. It's the doctrine that you find in the Gospel of Jesus Christ that keeps you from being gullible, from being vulnerable to the smooth talker and to the One who would tell you what you want to hear. And so send your roots down deep And he starts off with that warning and then some encouragement. Your obedience is known to all. Your obedience is known to all. He's writing to the church and it starts off in the, in the first chapter. And we'll see this in a minute. And, and he ends up later on, you can look down just a few verses, talking about the obedience of faith. The point of this doctrine, the point of the Gospel, is that your life is transformed. It's not that you have a good idea about God. And so, he says, you don't merely have good ideas. Your lives are transformed. As a church, your obedience is known to all. Which is the point of it. And it he says then, so that I rejoice over you. And I just have to say that after spending a couple of years in the book of Romans and talking about this doctrine and this gospel over and over and the implications it has for life, that uh, I just encouraged our ministry leaders and life group leaders on Thursday night at our meeting to say, you know what? Your obedience is known far beyond the walls of this building. And people are coming to ask about it. And it makes me as your pastor rejoice over you and what God is doing in you because of the Gospel. And then he says, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. So the encouragement continues and he's doubling back now about the doctrine. He said, I want you to be wise to what is good. Pay attention to the good doctrine and be innocent about the bad doctrine. Be innocent... Pay attention to the, to the teaching that is rooted in the Gospel of Jesus Christ and ignore that which is not. Be wise to what is good and innocent concerning what is evil. So I think there are some who say I'm going to be an expert in what is bad so that I can avoid it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to know all of the ins and the outs. So that I can stay away from it. And I just want to say, you're fooling yourself if you're doing that. If that's the way that's a conversation you have in your head, stop it. Because it isn't helping you. Because here, very simply, he says, just be wise to what is good and innocent concerning evil. You spend your energy on the things that will root you and give you life. And the things that will cut the life off. The things that will threaten the life. I want you to be innocent to that. You don't even have to know about that. And when you do, then in the midst of this division, in the midst of these stumbling blocks of the Gospel, God will grant peace. He is a God of peace. And the good news is He will crush Satan under your feet. This tells us a couple things. This tells us among other things, that Satan has an agenda here. Satan has an agenda to divide the church. To, um, to cause gossip. To cause people to be at odds with one another. And to hate one another. He'd love that. Because that would, that would embarrass God who sent His Son to bring the church together. And so if Satan can get it to divide, all the better. And what he says is, if you're careful about what is good, if you're on guard for those who bring division, and you're innocent to what is evil, God, the God of peace will, will foil Satan's attempts to divide his church. He'll crush Satan under your feet. And so, be wise to what is good and innocent Concerning evil. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. See, ultimately, any crushing of Satan, any uh, prevailing of the church, any safety from division, any of that comes because of the grace of the Lord Jesus. Not because we did it right or because our act is together. It is ultimately the very first promise in the Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that says the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. I think he's referencing even way back there to say, I want you you wise to what is good. The doctrine of Jesus. An innocent concerning evil. And God will apply that victory of Jesus to the church, and so the church is worthy of being protected. It is precious in the sight of God, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will be with you. The church of Jesus Christ is also worthy of being loved, and and we, we saw this, we've seen this over and over for the last several chapters when He's talking about you know loving one another and. Um, you know, bearing with one another, welcoming one another. Even earlier in this chapter, he told the church to um, greet one another. But now he says, instead, he says, "I'm going to greet uh, all of these people who are with me. Greet you." Ah, I lost it there. Again, I lost it. Okay, Timothy. First one is Timothy. I know that. There. Oh. Anyway, the first guy's Timothy. How's that? <laughs> and all of these people <laughs> Timothy and Lucius and Jason, Suscipiter, Tertius, Gaius, Erastus, Cortus, all of these form a network of support for the church in Rome. All of these people are companions of Paul. Paul Paul saw Timothy. When he was on his missionary journey, probably first missionary came to Christ, came back, saw the progress Timothy made, said, "This guy, I want on my team." And of course, you see Timothy over and over and over in the New Testament as a pastor in the Church of Ephesus. Books named after him that are written to him. Lucius, many think is the, is Doctor Luke, who wrote the Gospel in the Book of Acts and traveled with Paul uh, throughout his journeys. Jason was a friend at Thessalonica who hosted Paul. And then when there was a riot and Paul got kicked out of town, they couldn't deal with Paul because he was out of town. And so they brought Jason, who was his host, and said, here, you know, do something with this guy. And he paid a price for being associated with the gospel of Jesus. Sosipater traveled with Paul As well, Tertius is the amanuensis, the one who who dictated, took dictation on the letter. Probably talked about the punctuation and the grammar. And he's the one whose handwriting this is in and he wrote it. And he greets you. And Gaius, the first convert in Asia, hosting Paul and hosting the church, sends you his greeting and support. Erastus, who's... You know, some of these people have been slaves. Erastus, not so much. He's the city treasurer and prominent and he sends his support. And so does Cordus, our brother. And so you have here this entire network of prominent people in the first century supporting this church in Rome. sending their greetings, sending their love, reminding the church you belong to Jesus. Now, I say that, and I, I just want to stop here. You know, when you see the network, because our church has a network like this too. There are people all uh, outside of our church who are pulling for our church, and you never see them. But if, um, if, you know, if I was somewhere else and writing you a letter... I'd probably be with one of them and probably say they send you greetings. But there are all kinds of people who provide a network of support for our church. But beyond that, the church that's worthy of protection and love, this church of Rome, this letter written to that church had an effect on that church and that church became Uh, really a catalyst for transforming the Roman Empire. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. To put this not just in the the Bible context, but in the world context. Rome is the center of the universe uh, at this time. Nero is the emperor. And... You may know, Nero was not, uh, was not a friend to Christians. He wasn't bad at this time when it was written, but within five years, he began persecuting the church of Jesus, insisting that the emperor be recognized as God. The Christians, of course, were the ones who said, no, thank you. And they were persecuted. And it wasn't just a mild persecution that Nero brought. I mean, Nero... Uh, Nero imprisoned Christians, killed Christians. Nero put them on stakes, covered them with tar, lit them on fire for his parties in his garden. This is a church that's worthy of protection and love. It was these Christians in Rome who were blamed for the fire that burned Rome. A little bit later, you've heard the Nero fiddled while Rome burned. It's that fire; he wasn't really fiddling, but the Christians were blamed for it. And the interesting thing, as I as I think about these verses, is that the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. You see, he didn't he didn't in essence mean Nero's going away. He didn't mean that that Satan's plan to destroy the church is through the government. Satan's plan to destroy the church was through division. And the church needs to be protected. It needs to be loved. And, And it was protected and it was loved. And this church of Rome in the center of the empire grew and it thrived and it prevailed. And within 350 years, of the time that this book was written, the Roman Empire capitulated to Christianity. And that's not very long. This small band of people... I mean, in chapter 16, there there are 26 people mentioned. There are a few brothers with them. So who knows how many there were. But this small band of Christians believing in Jesus Christ Doing good to one another and to the world changed the course of history. I'm telling you, that's the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the power of the risen Jesus as He lives through His church. It's not a small thing. And so, I want to invite you to protect the church and to love the church and in loving the church you must love the gospel that gives life to the church. See here now we're we're going to hit the very conclusion of the book this this uh, crescendo and doxology glory to god here at the end but it starts off where it should start off doesn't it? With the good news or the gospel Now, according to my Gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, it is the subversive message of Jesus that transformed the Roman Empire. It's the subversive message of Jesus that established this church. And so, according to the Gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, now has been disclosed through the prophetic writings. It is this, it's always been a mystery. In the Old Testament, it was a mystery. They looked forward and you could see Jesus and you could see the people of God, but it didn't look like everyone thought it was going to look. It was kept secret for long ages and now it's disclosed through the prophetic writings. Do you see that? It's not just... It's not just that someone's thinking religious thoughts, it's that they have a book. You have a book. A book that says what God once said. A book that says you can know Him, you can have good news. It's a book that says that Jesus is coming to rescue the world and to make people right with God. Now been disclosed. That's, it was told about in the prophetic writings in the Old Testament. Now it's been disclosed in your New Testament. The whole book you've got there says the message that in fact, God in Jesus is reconciling people to himself. And it's made known to all the all the nations. You don't have to wonder what God says. You don't have to have some sort of deep uh, meditation to figure out some spiritual, mysterious truth. What he's telling us is it is the, the truth you need is the good news of Jesus, the preaching of Jesus, and it has been fully disclosed in the book that you have on your lap. It is your choice whether you know what God says or not. It is your choice whether you're going to understand the story of God throughout history and what it means to you. Because now it's been made known to all the nations. This good news comes to you as a command of the eternal God. You must believe in His Son. You cannot rescue yourself. You must come humbly as someone who needs saving, not someone who can save themselves. It is a command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. And again, there you have it. That word obedience again. But here you have it defined as the obedience that comes from faith. It's not an obedience that somehow substitutes for faith as though you could be good enough on your own. It is the obedience that stems from faith. Realizing that what God has done in Christ transforms a life to live differently. That's what the book of Romans is about. That's what it says in the very first uh, paragraph. This is the start of the book of Romans. To the other end, right? Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called him an apostle, set apart for the Gospel of God as he promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures. I don't know if I can say that any more strongly, that you need to read your Bible. That's where you find the hope of eternal life. That's where you find the Gospel that gives rise to a transformed life. This Gospel... In this Holy Scriptures concerns His Son who was descended from David according to the flesh, declared to be the Son of God by the power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. See, the the whole message of this book is that you might obey God because you trust Him. There is no conflict between James who says faith without works is dead and Paul who says you must believe. You must believe in a way that brings about transformed life. And so that's that's what comes from the Gospel. And it starts off there and he says, according to my Gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now here you go. Here is the, the final word. To Him who was able to strengthen you. To Him who is able to strengthen you according to my Gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. What this means is it's your choice to stay weak. It's your choice to stay ignorant of what the supply that God gives you to be strengthened. Because as it trickles down, it comes from God's Word. To Him who is able to strengthen you to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. So the final crescendo here in the book of Romans, it's, a great, it's just so beautiful that it, that it comes to this point. Because he ends this with the great God-centered Word. See, that's the good news. The good news is that you are not the center of the universe. The good news is that God is. Now, to Him who can strengthen you, to Him who is uh, the only wise God, be glory forevermore. The point of the Gospel is the glory of God. The point of this whole book of Romans has been to get to the last line that says glory to God forevermore. The beauty of it I I I just want you to embrace this with your whole heart, you see. The point of the Gospel is glory to God. How do we get there? We get there by believing it. We get there by saying, that Gospel is for me. I'm the person that needed Jesus to die on the cross for me. I'm the person who needed Jesus to rise from the dead. And when I believe that, that's good. And it's good for me, you see. There's nothing better for me than to believe the gospel. There's nothing I need more than to embrace the truth that God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him would have eternal life. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who gets that? The one who believes. And it's good for them. And it brings glory forevermore to God. It doesn't do one or the other. It does both with one blow. See, that's the beauty of the Gospel. Is that God could in one move with Jesus do the absolute best thing for every sinner And the absolute best thing for His own reputation and His own glory. And that is the good news of Jesus Christ. That there is a God in heaven that is more glorious than you can possibly imagine. Who loves you so much that He gave His one and only Son. That you might believe in Him and have eternal life so that there's no more condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So that nothing can separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the good news. That is good for you and brings glory to God. May that may that, be embraced by New Life Church in the happiest way ever as we think about even this Holy Week coming up where it's Good Friday, uh, the death of Jesus, and the Easter Sunday morning, the resurrection of Jesus. What a great opportunity we have to not just let this pass by and say, oh, that was for Sunday. It's not. It's for all week long for us to love the Gospel of Jesus Christ that tells us that God in fact does love us and will in fact save us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're humbled that we come to the end of the explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're forced again to recognize that it's for your glory, not our glory. That it's because of our need, not your need. That you have sent your Son that we might have life. And so, Father, I pray for every person here that we would, we would embrace it. That we would not be afraid of what it might mean to us. That we wouldn't, that we might crown Jesus King and not go back on it like Palm Sunday and Good Friday. Father, would you help us to believe in Jesus and to let Him be the King of our lives. On this Palm Sunday, I pray in His name. Amen.